Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 one of the things that satan attempts to do with god's people is he tries to sow seeds of doubt in their heart and primarily in the area of the goodness of God. And this is no secret. We see it in the first several chapters of the Bible as God created everything, creates man, creates woman. And then in chapter 3, Eve falls into sin, but it was Satan that began to tempt her. And the thing that got her to bite on the temptation was the fact that he was able to sow seeds of doubt into Eve's heart as to the goodness of God. Satan said, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And she, of course, uh, fell to that temptation, ate the fruit and sinned against God. And that's why we're in the condition we are today. But notice how he did that. It's as if Satan was saying, God's withholding from you. God is not really good or he would have your best interest at heart. We sing that song, don't we? Good, good father. The chorus goes something like this. You are a good, good father. You're a good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And that's how the chorus goes. We sing those songs. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And even though we sing those words on a regular basis, that's a popular song. We hear it on the radio as well. Some of us have a problem buying into that. Uh, We believe that our relationship with God is based on how good we are and that at any time we get out of line, God's going to pull the carpet out from us and He's going to discipline us big time. Rather than seeing God as a good, good Father who is a loving Father that we can come and sit on His lap, that's the picture with Abba Father. But yet I run into so many people who don't really believe that God is that good. That God is that good that He really has your best interest at heart. And I think that that's why the book of Romans is important too. It's not just that we have been justified by faith. It's not just uh, you know that we have been made right with God through the death of Jesus Christ, but it goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond just being justified. We have a life to live with Him. We're going to see that as a major shift takes place in Romans chapter 5. As you know, we've started in chapter 1, verse 18, with the content of the body, 
of the book of Romans. He begins with condemnation, then with justification. There's a turn that takes place in chapter 3, verse 21, where now going from condemnation to justification through faith. And then in chapter 4, Paul continues his teaching that we are justified by faith by using the father of our faith, Abraham. Abraham becomes the illustration that he was justified before even the law was given. He was justified because he believed, because he had faith in God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. And that's how our righteousness is credited to us today. It's when we place our faith in God. And so we've seen that in chapter 4. Now we're seeing another major turn. He's going from teaching the doctrine of being justified by faith to now, what does that mean to me? How does that impact my life? Because as you read the scriptures, yeah, there's these deep doctrinal truths, but really what you got to ask yourself, now that I understand that, now that I get it, how does that impact my life? How does that change my life? And that's what we're going to see here where the words faith and belief show up 33 times in chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 25. And only three times we see from chapters 5 through 8 those words faith and believe. Now as it makes the turn, the words life and live show up 24 times in chapters 5 through 8 and only two times in chapters 1 verse 18 through the end of chapter 4. So even in the words we see faith and believe was a pillar in the earlier chapters. Now live and life is going to be a pillar now as he makes this transition. In other words, therefore we have been justified by faith. Now here's what comes. Here's what comes since you've been justified by faith. And to me, this is so beautiful. These first 11 verses of chapter 5 are so glorious. If you're a believer today, you kind of get it, but I don't even think that we understand the full depth of what's said here. But as we begin to jump into those 11 verses, the first thing you need to see is we now live in the blessings that come from justification. We now live in the blessings that come from justification, and that's how he opens up. And I want you to see these three things that are very important as we have now been justified by faith. We're now made right with God. How is that going to play out now? And what are the blessings that flow? If justification by faith is the fountain, what flows from that fountain? What are the things that flow from that fountain? And the first thing you need to see is we now have peace with God. We now have peace with God. Look at what it says in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the peace of God. The peace of God is a state of the heart and a state of the mind. Like Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. No, this is the state of a relationship where there was no peace in the relationship, where there was hostility. And I don't know where you thought you were before God and when you said I was a good person, everything else, as the Bible describes in this passage, that you were an enemy of God, but now we have peace with God. Now you truly can have the peace of God, but the peace of God is feelings and it's subjective and it comes and goes sometimes as some of you are even dealing with anxiety because of the COVID-19. You're saying, how do I get the peace of God? And we direct our minds and our hearts upon Him. But there's these moments in our life where we go through these times of anxiety. But this is speaking about now our relationship. There was a peace treaty cut. And it was signed with the blood of Jesus Christ. 
meaning that God will not renege on that. And Rome would have understood this. very epistle was originally written to the church in Rome, and they would have understood peace because the big theme in that day was Pax Romana, that the peace of Rome is what it spoke of. And it meant that Rome kept peace under any conditions, that when a riot would break out, they would put it down quickly, and it was by force, and it was enforced. It was by their iron army, their trained soldiers would come in, and there was a peace. It was Pax Romana, but even the power of Rome to enforce peace is matchless against the power of God. The Bible tells us that God raises up nations and takes them down. That's why Rome doesn't exist. God said he was going to do that. In the book of Daniel, prophesied to a T, and Rome comes falling. And so God not only created, but God is also involved in the affairs of this world. He takes kingdoms, he raises them up, he takes them down, he turns kings' hearts according to his purposes. But he's not just involved in the internal affairs of this world. He's also the judge at the end. That every person will stand before God as judge. And to think that there is a God that powerful where we are going to be forced to bow our knee if we don't do it willingly in this life. That we can have peace with God. Peace with God today. So that's one of the benefits and blessings that comes with being made right with God. We're no longer in hostility with Him. We're no longer enemies of God. We wake up in the morning and God's on our side. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 prophesied this amazing prophecy of the death of Jesus Christ that He would be slaughtered for our sins. And look what he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And Romans, as we get into chapter eight, which I think is a parallel passage of this because it opens here in chapter five with the security of God in these 11 verses. Then at chapter eight, towards the end of chapter eight, it winds up with the security of God that the believer has. And it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that I have peace with God today. And you can have that too. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Him. Don't you want peace with God? Don't you want Him on your side, especially with what we're going through today? Well, God isn't the one withholding. He desires fellowship. He's the one who sent His Son and gave it all so that we can have peace. So we have peace with God, but we also have access to God's grace. Look what he says. Not only do we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now you need to see something. The word access there is translated from the Greek word prosogogi, prosogogi. And it was used of like a chamberlain at a king's palace. And in order to get into the king's presence, he would have to come in and introduce you. So if you were to see any king, you just couldn't go barging into the throne room. You couldn't just go marching in and say, I want a word with the king. You would lose your head. But this word was used of somebody being ushered into the presence of the king to be introduced. And Jesus took us by the hand and he walked us right into the throne room right into the presence of the throne. 
And that is so important, friend, because we stand in that grace today. It doesn't say that we come and go. And I want you to imagine a throne room. The throne room has curtains. This throne room is described as grace. That a throne room has curtains. That's grace. A throne room has pillars. That's grace. A throne room is decorated with gold, silver, and bronze. That's grace. We're standing not just in a throne room. We're standing in grace. Which means that wherever you go in this world, you are standing in the throne of grace. And that is so important because we don't come and go. We don't have grace one day and not grace another. That's what he's trying to get across to those who have a works-related relationship with God that, man, I didn't perform well enough today. I'm out of God's favor. That's not what he's saying there. We stand in that grace. We don't move. We're in there from beginning to end. You were saved by grace. Now he's saying we live by grace. And I don't know about you, but I need God's grace every day. There's times that I blow it. Boom, man. Lord, thank you for your grace. There's times that we backslide. Lord, thank you for your grace. It was there. And you know what I'm talking about. If you backslidden miserably, and some of you maybe in new creations before, you backslid and now you're back, that's God's grace. That's God's grace that brings you back. That's God's grace that gives you the room to grow. You know, God's grace is not a credit card. It's a debit card. In my wallet, I've got two cards. I've got a credit card and I've got a debit card. The credit card charges, keeps charging, keeps charging, and then there's a bill that's sent. But the debit card, every time you use it, it draws out of the resources that are already there. And God has given us a debit card with His grace that is endless. There's no end to the resources. You cannot spend enough. Now some of you are thinking, well, now you're giving me a license to sin. No, in chapter 6, do we sin now because of this? No. Because you've been given a debit card? No. We don't sin by no means. We don't take advantage of that. But it's nice to know that, man, when I blow it, God doesn't push me out and kick me to the curb like some would believe. No, that debit card is there. Man, I blew it with my wife today, Lord. Take out your debit card, (laughs) right? I blew it at the men's home. Man, there's the debit card. I blew it at work. I I did something I shouldn't have done. I violated integrity with people. I lied to somebody. I lied to my supervisor. I stole from work. Okay, take out the debit card. But that debit card is not to be used frivolously. It inspires us to want to live for the Lord more. So we have access to God's grace that we stand in, but also we have the hope of God's glory. I love this, you guys. It says, after that, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And people are like, they see glory. What does that mean, glory? You know what it was? Being made in the image of God, and I've said this before, that you and I reflect the glory of God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And when they sinned, that glory was diminished, that we no longer were reflecting the glory of God. We were living in sin. And so the Bible says today that when we come to Christ, we're being transformed from glory to glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are being transformed from glory to glory here 
And the old saying that, you know, Lord, I, I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. What we're really saying is, man, God has changed our lives. Glory is coming back. Glory is coming back. God's glory is starting to come back in our lives, but I know I'm not what I, I should be. In other words, I know I haven't arrived yet, but the hope right there, the glory of God, which is going to be covered in depth in Romans chapter 8, and we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 8, but right now know that we got the hope that in your failures, in your shortcomings, don't let the devil lie to you. God redeemed you. And you are starting to reflect the glory of God, but Satan wants to condemn you. He wants to, to reap condemnation on you, but man, everyone around you is seeing change. They're seeing God's glory leak out of you. But there is a day coming, friends, where we will be glorified. Listen to what Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, God's glory in the flesh. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's like looking into the future and it's a done deal with God. Man, don't let Satan feed you full of lies. Cling to the truth today. Notice how these benefits and these blessings are being justified or covered from womb to tomb. From the time you're first born to the time you leave this earth, to the time you're born again, that new birth takes place from the womb, the spiritual womb, you're now to the tomb, to the time you leave, that it's all covered right there. That the past, we have been justified. We have been justified. We look at the present. We have peace with God and we stand in His grace. And we also have the future covered with God, right? Because we have the hope of glory. Now, this is important for every believer, especially I think right now. Not only do we live in the blessings and the benefits of being justified, but we also rejoice in suffering because it has purpose. That now when you become a believer, you understand that, man, prior to Christ, suffering had no meaning to me. It's like, man, I'm just a pinball in a pinball machine bouncing here and there. And man, whatever happens, happens. It's happenstance. But now we look at suffering and we see that there's meaning, that there's a purpose behind it. And that's what he's going to cover. Why? Because as believers in Christ, standing up for Christ is going to call for suffering. It's going to call for sacrifice. Now notice he says, rejoice in suffering. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. We don't rejoice about our sufferings. That's masochism. That's finding pleasure in the pain. And that's a sick person who finds pleasure in the pain. But no, this is speaking rejoicing in our sufferings. I may not be happy about the circumstances that are going on right now in my life, but I'm rejoicing inwardly. I'm rejoicing in the midst of those because I have a relationship with the Lord. And now that we rejoice in the suffering, we're talking about now we know that the suffering, there's a divine rationale. There's a divine plan behind all of this. There's a divine plan. The word for suffering is philipsis in the Greek. It literally means pressure. It was used of crushing olives in an olive press in order to squeeze the oil out. So in that day, they had these olive presses, and they would squeeze the oil out. 
And the suffering that it's speaking of here, although it's not excluding other suffering, but the suffering it's talking about here is the suffering that would come as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. As a result of standing on His Word. As a result of preaching the Gospel. That's the kind of suffering that we're talking about. It, it's a squeezing. It's a pressure from the world that comes in. It's not your air conditioner going out in the summertime. Although here in the Imperial Valley, yeah, that's suffering. But it's different than that. It's speaking about suffering for the cause of Christ. And we see that Paul and Silas had joy in their suffering. They may not have been happy about what was going on in their life, but they had joy when they were arrested in Acts chapter 16. Listen to these words. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, so Paul and Silas, they're brought, they're beaten because of preaching the gospel. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So they weren't just in jail. They had their feet in stocks. They couldn't move. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. It's amazing. We can rejoice in suffering. Why can we rejoice in suffering? There's a reason that we can rejoice in our suffering because like I said, it has a divine purpose. And suffering, first and foremost, for you and I, it leads to spiritual maturity. It says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Producing endurance. Endurance is the ability to face difficulties, hardships, and suffering without giving in. So the first thing we see is that when we encounter sufferings, it's supposed to produce endurance in us. This is why Paul in Acts chapter 14, they go and they're strengthening the other disciples. They're encouraging them because they're going under suffering and he's helping them to endure. It says in verses 21 to 22, when they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How would you like that for an altar call? Hey, anyone want to believe in Jesus? Come forward. We'd like to pray for you. And by the way, you're going to enter with many tribulations into the kingdom of God. That's the facts of the matter. And those tribulations and those sufferings and the persecutions is what will weed out the real from the fake. So in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the seed and the sower, the one with shallow root was the one that would fall away. Look what it says. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, one thing suffering will do, it'll always expose the depth of your faith. Is your faith rooted today? Is your faith actually rooted today? And that's what you have to ask yourself, man. Am I rooted today in faith? Am I willing to endure through the tribulations that come as a result of serving God, serving the Lord, living out His Word? Secondly, endurance produces character. Look at this chain reaction that's happening. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. 
Endurance produces character. The Greek word dokimi includes the idea of approved as a result of testing. In other words, your character, who you are, is really tested through things like suffering. And that's what Paul's saying here. This is going to produce character. Why? Because suffering will always expose those weaknesses in you. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to say, man, I want to develop my character. But if in praying that prayer, you need to understand that suffering is going to come because that's what's going to expose the character and the weaknesses that need to be shored up in our life. In the 1800s, the gold prospectors and dealers, they needed to distinguish gold from other base metals. So they would apply nitric acid and it would dissolve the other metals more quickly than the gold. The acid test was used to prove which was the real gold from the other metals. And as we endure through suffering, it's the acid test that's going to expose the metal that shouldn't be there. Because we want to be refined like gold. We want our, our character to be golden before the Lord. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977